0: to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Stephen King, the president and CEO of Growth Force. Stephen, thanks so much for taking the time thanks for having me steve i'm really excited to have a conversation about where this moment in time has led many nonprofit organizations with some different tools but different challenges about how we go forward and do our jobs better uh, but before i get into some of those specific questions i'm wondering if i could just ask you to introduce introduce uh, growth force uh, what what is that and what do you do
1: growth force is an outsourced accounting department over the web and We work, I was the CFO and the uh, Director of Development for Amnesty International two weeks after Bruce Springsteen and Peter Gabriel and Sting did the worldwide tour. And we grew from 6 million to 18 million overnight. And I got to see how finance and development can work together to help create more outcomes. So uh, we are a um, team and technology that help nonprofits that are frustrated because they can't get through an audit they're anxious about their cash flow. They worry about whether development's gonna help cover their operating expenses. And they are looking for a full stop solution to help them get the board, the management team, and the, and the auditors, the financial management system they need.
0: So a lot of charities that I work with have been expressing such uncertainty, so many questions about things from the beginning of this pandemic to where we are at this moment. Uh, And I'm really intrigued to talk with you about the federal response to how um, this has impacted people and making the uh, payroll protection loans available, but then also the economic injury disaster loan program through the SBA, which was available to nonprofit organizations and many of them going, boy, is debt a tool here? What's forgivable out of this thing? If I'm going to do the paycheck protection part and stay working, how long should I keep those people on or am I just prolonging the inevitable? So many of those types of questions. Uh, I'm wondering as you talk with your existing clients or maybe a new one calls up and says, boy, we had some challenges early on in this thing and now we're really thinking about the business model and how we Grow this growth force model. Um, how do you, first of all, kind of start by going back to that challenge of uncertainty that really came up at the beginning of this thing and how that's transitioned to we've been doing it for a while now and maybe have some better ideas? So,
1: first, um, great questions. And, you know, the, the this moment in time that you said, I think, you know, is unique because not only all the socioeconomic issues, but you know, the government doesn't just give cash to small businesses and nonprofits right. without uh, ever. <laughs> so, so it's a hard, you know, some of these are hard decisions. The first, what's the difference? The Payroll Protection Program, the PPP, was to help you keep your employees hired so you didn't have to furlough people, right? It was $349 billion. Um, and you, it was to cover those payroll expenses. That should be 100% forgiven for almost everybody. Um, the EIDL, the economic injury disaster loan was a completely different animal. That's a loan, right? right? And not everybody qualified with a
0: very small forgivable component from, from some organizations. 10 right? grand. A, yeah. 10
1: grand. Right. So, so you, but you can borrow up to $2 million for 2.745% interest rates for 30 years and, and paid over 30 years. Exactly. Yeah. So the challenge is you have to really understand, you know, debt and 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 why would you get debt? Right? Debt, you know, so so most nonprofits look at the statement of functional activities, the income statement for the nonprofits. And everybody, the board, everybody looks at the income minus the expenses, gives you your profit, right? And that they equate to cash flow. Somehow, it's not technically that at all, but. But very few board members, executive directors, anybody who's not in the finance committee, look at the balance sheet or the statement of financial position in a nonprofit, right? And that's got your assets, what you own, and on the left side, and that has to equal your liabilities, what you owe, and your- your, um, uh, The net assets. The net assets, your your, your equity effect, right? right? The value of the organization. And so the more debt you take on, the less valuable the organization is, unless you get a return on the investment that you make from the debt. Right. So so when, when we're counseling clients now, the and the. The idea here is how do you go through a strategic review that helps you come out of this better than you went in? And we've got these five steps. It starts with reviewing your mission. I, I I'll I'll, t- I'll use the st- I like to tell stories. I'll use the story of the Fort Bend Women's Shelter, um, who, Avita uh, Goodell is a good friend of mine from Vistage, and she followed this five steps, which starts with review your mission. What is their mission? Their mission was to help break the end the cycle of homelessness and abuse in women. In, in in the greater Houston area. And the board and the management team felt they were doing a great job because their shelter was full every night. Mm. It was bad that they had to turn people away, but 123 beds, they were full. But when they looked at the 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 mission, their mission wasn't to house battered women, it was to break the cycle of homelessness and abuse. So then they went through to step two, which is, What are the programs that we should stop, start, and continue that will help further that mission? What they found was they needed to start a program for vocational training to help go through a six-part training program where they would teach a woman how to get that first job because they found that the outcome that furthered their mission the most was helping someone Get their first job. So it starts with an outcome driven mission, right? So, so a movement. So, so now the next step is to look at the economics of that. What do the, what do the is there any revenue that can come either from uh, individuals or government? Um, is there any, what's the direct cost mostly of labor since all nonprofits, the single biggest expense is people. So, so we, we suggest that a nonprofit needs to be run as a well-run for-profit. The only difference is you take the profits and you pour them back into more outcomes instead of distributing through shareholders. And what that means is you need to look at those costs of your services, the cost of the work that you do, and move them in the business terms it would be above the line into cost of goods sold. It should be called cost of services delivered. So you have a separate line of gross profit that shows you how much does it cost me to deliver every single service with or without any income. Now, if you can divide that by the number of outcomes in each service, then you can see what's the cost to deliver some, transport- some vocational training. What does it cost for transportation services to the vocational service? And the more narrow you can define that, the Society of Fundraising Executives says that if you can show the donor the tangible result of their gift, what do they get when they give you money? You'll raise a lot more money. You'll get higher average gifts and you'll get them more frequently every month. And so, so that's my mission is to help nonprofits be able to see and communicate what the, the, the outcomes that further the mission the most, what do those outcomes cost, and then package it in a way that you can go to donors and, and get them to put you on a monthly sustainer program.
0: You know, I'm interested in how you take that conversation. You just went through that mission focused uh, piece about outcomes and work it through the lens of we had uh, what we thought was projecting, you know, good outcomes with particular tools, but it was reliant on these in-person services that aren't safe to do for right now. And they haven't been safe for a year. And we were paying people to do these things with an in-person model that just doesn't work anymore. And now we've got that question of, Are we going to restructure that? Are we going to just mothball it until such time as it's safe to be in person again and and everybody does that? But there's a real question of the economics of, are we going to change that whole model forever and ever? because of what we've learned through this? Or are we going to pause that kind of operation and try to come back to it the way that it used to be, if that was good? And that's where that debt question, I think, kind of comes in is sometimes right. charities will go, oh my gosh, I can't make payroll in two weeks. I'm glad I've got this loan I will take. And now you know keep going and, and keep paying people when ultimately they may really have to think about, are we ever going back? to the way that we used to do that? Is that going to be the way that we have the maximum impact and we show those outcomes to community? Or do we learn something about this and use this moment to go, we aren't gonna pay those same people in the same way uh, and we have to do that differently. So just debt to just to not fire people doesn't seem to be a strategy. It's it's a reaction to a horrible situation. Um, but I do think it's this moment of what you're talking about with outcomes to really go, are we going to use some of this money to transition somehow or to just get through? I mean, in some cases, maybe you just hold on and come back and slowly pay that money back over time on your otherwise profitable model that was delivering great income or great outcomes when the uh, before the pandemic hit.
1: Yeah, the purpose of the loan is to help you get through this economic injury, right? Yeah. So let's, you know, use it for what it's worth. But you, you really want to, I think, you want to take the money and, and just like you say, re, use it to reimagine yourself, right? Pivot. What pivots do you want to make? And and if you if you figure out, start with an assessment of how does each program serve your mission? What are the desired outcomes? And and most nonprofits have three goals, right? You can you can either help. You should be doing things to do one of three things, one to help provide better results from the people you share or serve more people and get donors to pay for that. Right. If you can get those three things, that's a success. Mm -hmm. And and so so you want to go through and and you know, right now the Village Learning and Achievement Center is another organization that that we're involved with. And, and we're going through this right now, whereas we have a day habilitation center, we do adults with learning disability. And the mission is to help them leave an inclusive life in Kingwood, Texas, right? Be able to achieve their highest quality of life is the mission. So that's, you know, that's hard to do. And so in the old days, it was, it was you know, getting everybody into a center. For the last year, we haven't been able to do that. Right. So it means in some of our services, being able to look at Zoom being a, a poor replacement, but if you can complement it with other solutions, then maybe there's a more people you can serve with fewer dollars because we don't have the transportation costs, because we don't have. But it's it, whatever it is, your mission is starts it. And then how does each program drive those missions? There's basically four decisions that you got to make, right? Who is the right client? Not all clients are created equal. At the Fort Bend Women's Shelter, their best client was someone who was willing to take the six part vocational training services. That's magic because now all of a sudden we're really have a high likelihood of getting an outcome that will break the cycle of homelessness and abuse. And the people who don't want to, who habitually are not going to be willing to enroll, are not a good client. We have to use that bed for somebody who's going to be able to help us the most. Or we're going to be able to help the most is what I should say. Right.
0: Then, Well, I'm just interested in how this particular time and tools maybe changes or precipitates that kind of a conversation. That if you hadn't necessarily, you know, in February of 2020, before all of the um, shutdowns and and, uh, income changes and service delivery models change and all of that, been going along thinking, well, you know, we're able to raise funds for the work that we're doing. We like the outcomes that we're generating, communities going along. I think still would have been a good time to think about, can you reduce costs? Can you increase number of services? Will people help you pay for that? Those are really good metrics no matter what. But I do think there's a lot of folks that are kind of struggling now post shutdowns, post all this to think, you know, how we did all that stuff doesn't necessarily make sense even when we're allowed to go back anymore because so people have changed. And if we're just taking out fairly cheap government debt, because we're not sure how to change yet. That's maybe not the right reason to take out fairly inexpensive government debt.
1: Yeah, you got to get a return on your investment. You got it. You got to take it and put the money into something. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's not just covering your cash flow. Right. That to me, to, if you if you have a 90 day problem, that's a lot different than if you're the scenario you painted, which was you've already got a successful program. That's profitable in the nonprofit sense. So you didn't have a problem before. If you think you can get back there, then that's a good use of debt, right? To tide you over. Yeah. It's a rainy day fund for the rainy day or the snowy day here in Houston, <laughs> Texas. And and um, so that's a good use of debt. But what I would suggest, it's even worth getting more and, and investing it that in something that will get you a return on investment. Increased efficiencies is a good example of that, right? You know, if you're still so we do, we do outsourced accounting, right? So, you know, for my, my, when you're a hammer, you think everything's a nail. To me, the most <laughs> important thing is, the most important thing is if you're writing checks manually, stop, use bill.com, hire a QuickBooks consultant to be able to help you automate that whole process because then you've eliminated a, a manual bookkeeping cost, the time that it takes for the treasurer to have to come in and sign checks over Five thousand dollars, you know, all that inefficiency in your back office. Now is a really good time to focus on that and come out of this. You know, they call it sharpening the saw. The AICPA, the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, uh, had said that the entire bookkeeping function will be fully automated by twenty twenty five. They recently came out and says that's been accelerated by two years because Mm. everybody's focusing on automation, automation, automation. And it's so easy. It's so easy to do. Um, We've got this smart back office where you basically look at all the different things that you have to do and look at how you synchronize that with QuickBooks. You know, one of the biggest ones, you know, I'm, I'm a fundraiser at heart, right? So one of the best ones is to be able to allocate your labor costs based on how people fill, spend their time. What that does is it allows you, if you use Intuit Payroll, which is bigger than ADP Payroll and Paychex Payroll combined, and it's built into QuickBooks. So if you're already using QuickBooks, it's just a subscription. When you run the end and insperity payroll and, and PEO, they're the only two that have automated. Everybody else has manual workarounds to do labor cost allocation based on how people spend their time. It's called activity-based costing. Why that's valuable is because now you can show the donors the tangible result of their gift. You can go to the foundation. You can say, look, here's exactly how we spent last year's money. And here's what the outcomes were. And now here's what we need next year's money. We can show you the fully loaded labor costs. And what we find is that the donors are happy to give, but the amount of work that gives them the comfort level that they need can all be automated? That's a big one, Steve, for this right. crazy
0: times. So, how long do people? I feel like this would have been different, you know, had everybody been told, "Hey, next year there's going to be a major disruption. You should start thinking about that and planning now." Not how it worked, right? We 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 all got you know very little notice that. Uh, things are gonna be very different now. Now you've gotta start thinking about how we're delivering services. How many people uh, are we using to do that? Are there alternatives to do some of that virtually? All those things some transitional costs to, to adapt to that make sense. But for organizations that hadn't made that transition or hadn't thought about that, you know, from, you know, March, April, whatever it may, may have been, got word about, you know, the idle loans and PPP and all that stuff, May and June, they, they use those things. Now we're looking at round two available in some of those places where people, boy, if you haven't Figured, what's the transition look like? Are we still just trying to hang on to go back to whatever normal looks like? or are we really fundamentally changing how we do services or how we measure what our outcomes are? Uh, you know we, we seem to be right back at this moment again with, gosh, there's a whole nother round of this funding available. I'm assuming not forgivable if you got your forgivable portion last time around, although I don't actually know that as I'm speaking to you today. I don't know if you happen to know, is there any additional I, yeah, forgiveness on the I, table?
1: none none of the rules have been clear distributed um there this is that we are dealing with the government in the middle of (laughs) there and they're pre and they're preoccupied right now right so um i i'm i can't even you know i'm a cpa but i i couldn't even begin to give you advice and counsel on that but you raise a really interesting concept right like you know we if we had a plan we could go plan and and get all be ready for all this but who had a plan nobody nobody and even you know on the for profit side. You know, what we see is everybody, everybody who's a service business had to pivot. Yes. You know, and, and what, what I think what's interesting is, you know, we were talking about this before the show started, you know, we have, we're a hundred, we've always been a hundred percent virtual. My last company was called virtual growth, but our clients didn't want to get on zoom camera. (laughs) They, They were happy. They were happy with a phone call. And, and and my staff were like you know i don't have a nice piece of artwork behind me it's just you know a picture of my kids now that norm has changed right it's the more interesting it is it's like oh that's a star wars phaser over your rachel that's so cool right i love those stories that it, and so the clients you know like, you know, I, I, I can't speak to the, you know, to, to, to Fort Bend specifically, but I know a lot of our other clients are now, they're giving therapy classes, sessions on Zoom. And this telemedicine isn't horrible. It's not great, but it's not horrible. So you have to figure out how do you make the best out of it, right? You know, I do a crisis workshop where I talk about the first thing you got to do is you got to figure out what's your mindset. You have to have it a mindset of abundance. If you're not strapped to a ventilator, God bless you. Amen. Right. Just thank you. Whatever you believe. Thank you. Start there. Then, okay, let's get the data to assess reality. Let's not just do, uh, I just finished a podcast. Let's just not do belly data. Like, you know, belly data is like, what does my gut tell me? Yeah right? Let's get the real data. And, the, and, and, and you have to start with in your mindset step, step one, what is, where are you? What's your scenario? Are you in survival mode? Meaning, you know, if I don't take the EDIL, I'm not going to make it. Are you in restructure mode? Which is, we're going to make it. But the way we used to do things is not the way we're going to do things. And we gotta we gotta make that transition and it's hard. Or are you in strengthened mode? Meaning, you know what, this has been good for us. Yeah. Not a lot of nonprofits are in that strength, but a lot of for-profits are. And and you know, there's there's still a lot of donors who are. And so so once you figure out what where you are, then you can figure out what the priorities are. If you're in survival mode, it's about cash flow, which is step two no matter what, what mode you're in, now is the time to really get good at managing cash flow. And the first thing you need is a 13 week forecast. A 13 weeks, because that's how long it takes for you to have visibility into a problem payroll for my three payrolls from now or four payrolls from now and be able to do something about it without stress. And it's a rolling weekly 13 week forecast. It just shows you the sources of money and the uses of money coming in week by week. The next part of cash flow is really understanding how do you get your donors to switch from once a year to monthly giving. That's magic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and donors are happy to do it, especially if it's just an automatic debit. I don't have to worry about it. And you, and, and, and if you, you're, you're, I can budget for it and if you can show them what they get for a hundred and the, sorry i missed a step one of the things to do is you take your whatever your donors are giving let's say it's a $1000 donor right you take that amount and you you drop off a zero and you make it the monthly amount so a $1000 donor becomes a $100 monthly giver right a $500 donor becomes a $50 monthly giver. So, so $100, you get the idea. Yep. And, and, and if you can show them what they get, you're going to now, that's a 20% increase in your giving. You've gone from 1,000 to 1,200. And you've, you've had um, a significant uh, solution to your biggest problem every nonprofit has is the seasonality of event and donor giving, Mm -hmm. right? You got year-end is where all the money comes in. The foundations uh, take a year, your event in the spring and then the fall gala, like that's, you know, nothing happens. You got to get through August the best you can, right? (laughs)
0: It's really tough, those hot summer months. Well, this is such an interesting moment though that you bring up about the ability to use some of this stuff to make that transition because it uh, you've got to talk to those donors about you know why it's helpful for everybody involved to think about transitioning from a once a year larger gift, or maybe it's a twice a year, I give it the you know annual event and I do a year end gift or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. to make that a regular um, piece for everybody, you know, you've you've got to get them that first communication. They're probably not gonna respond immediately to. The first ones you have to do is that there's going to be a little energy involved in trying to move that transition along. You could use some of this time and resource, some of this uh, fairly inexpensive uh, money to think, like, well, let's invest in that. Let's put some money into that right now with the goal that we're going to have that 20% bump that will come at some point. But of course, it doesn't all show up day one. You know, if you get people to commit, you got to be willing to look long term. And maybe then you are paying people to help do all that communication work to really engage those donors to put the right information in front of them. But that's more than maybe you've spent before. And maybe this is the moment to think about that kind of a change in thinking where yes, you're going to spend more. It's going to work out. But I do think that that's a different thing to say. We have a strategy around growth that's going to really transition how our donors look at us um, different from, oh my gosh, I can't make payroll. Let's just borrow some money. You know, those are two different things.
1: Yeah, very well said. I mean, it is it, it is really the perfect time to reimagine yourself, right? And, and why do you take on debt? Okay, I'm going to come back to what I said at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, a nonprofit needs to be run like a well run for profit. Why would you take on debt? Because you're going to get a return on investment. I'm willing to take on the normally the higher interest rate. It's the, you know, EIDL is 3.75% for a business, which is still really cheap home equity, home equity level debt. Right. ratios right that's as cheap as the money you're ever going to get so yes if you can use it to good work take as much as you can as long as you get a return on an investment and and what you're doing here is you're, you're, if you invest in your back office right i'm starting to see foundations make contributions for accounting system design why because you know what we've got we're slow right now so let's just use let's sharpen the saw and let's you know not work so hard to cut the wood. Mm-hmm. And that and that that you know Steve I think it's very uh, well said. I, I it's exactly why you get EIDL money to make yourself a better organization to and do it identify which outputs create the most outcomes. Right? Which are your programs, you know what your program does is your output. Right? Number of meals served, number of counseling sessions, number of clients. And then you wanna look at both the efficacy of the program, meaning the non-financial metrics. How well does it help break the cycle of homelessness and abuse? And then as, and rank them, stack rank your programs. You know, do we, do do we, there's three things we said. Do we create better outcomes for the people we serve? Do we get to serve more people or will we raise more money, right? rank those th- your your efficacy on each program and then look at the economics of each program what does it cost me to serve a client to serve a meal once you have that then what you can do is you can compare them and figure out which programs if you don't have enough money which programs are you know make the cut but look at the ones that are on the bubble and figure out which, which ones create the most outcomes, serve the most people, and help raise the most money per dollar for per, per available spending dollar. And, and, you know, QuickBooks has all this built into it. You can use right. the classes feature to track each department, I'm sorry, each program and subclasses for teams. You can put your labor costs above the line into gross profit. And, and then now development has what it needs to raise some money.
0: Right. And to talk to more people differently about what that might mean. And I think part of this yeah. odd thing about like idle in particular for organizations that had access to that, I, I assume that program is closed. I don't know that for a fact, though. Do you happen to know? Could I, I, you I, apply never, today? I, I,
1: There was there was uh, the last I heard in December was there was still a lot of money left.
0: Oh, okay. So if people listening right now, maybe it's uh, still not too late to go to SBA.gov, look at that um, application for the folks I've worked with. It was all online through their site for this one. It's different from some of the other um, pieces where you had to have a lending partner in the community for PPP and all the rest of it. But if you are able to get a hold of that, very rarely in my 25 years with nonprofit organizations, have we really been able to think about making a fair amount of investment in changes right now and paying for it over a fairly long period of time. Usually it's, if we're going to shift business model, we have to really think of how quickly are we going to recover some of those costs because we just don't have lots of patient cash. Um, waiting around. And in the past, it was a lot harder to get. You know, we want the to be secured against some kind of asset, you know, et cetera. Here you've got some pretty patient money. You could look at those things that really have the impacts you're talking about and think, sure, but maybe they do get paid for it in three years. That would be great. Maybe it's five. What if it's eight or nine? Maybe it's still worth doing. Probably it's not going to be 30. I mean, I I just don't think that most changes in organizations that we can really forecast are going to take that long to like a mortgage to pay off. So at some point, you may come to the decision of we've seen our return on investment, that's kind of come back in. Do we pay off early? Do we think about the next iteration of changes and maybe be ready for them to take four or five years and keep using that fairly inexpensive cash? Uh, I mean, that may be a, a a very independent or a very, uh, organizational dependent answer. I can't imagine this applies to everybody, but how do you think about things differently when you could really be financing the cost of those changes over a fairly long time rather than a fairly short one?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, 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 it is, a, it is a moment in time as you yeah. say, and uh, I don't know if you'll ever get it again. Um, but the, you know, the, um, the view out, how long would you view out? I think, you know, to my mind, three to five years is forever away.
0: Right. right?
1: Feels that way when you're doing forever the work. Forever away.
0: Forever <laughs> away.
1: So I can't imagine thinking beyond three to five years. But, you know, what I do find, though, what's interesting is um, technology has changed so much. I mean, yeah. this Zoom Zoom alone, right? But not even just that. I'm finding the the world has more of an Amazon level of service expectation than before and so and so you know where are the opportunities both in service and fundraising to to think differently um you know the 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 what i'm and it's you know the what i'm seeing some of nonprofits do is start to use video of the people that are being served to send to that people can watch on their phones that that allow you to feel more connected than when the center was open, right? Because you know, where if you're if you're thinking like, okay, what does what does this look like five years from now, and um, you're you're reimagining yourself to create more outcomes, being able to use our our newfound comfort level with home video. Allows an intimacy that didn't exist. You know, how could you teach grandma how to use Zoom? It's never going to happen. Guess what? Grandma's on Zoom (laughs) because she, it was important enough because she was by herself, right? That's a powerful change in our dynamic. So, how do you leverage that to bring more connectivity to the mission, to the people that are served, to the donors? And, um, you know, I, I think. Small investments are needed to to really Amazon yourself uh, in a new decade. But um, I don't know if I've, I don't know if I answered your question or if there well, was a question.
0: <laughs> no, I think that that is a really when we're talking about timeframes, the the fact that people are getting. A different expectation of what does it mean to interact with an organization, whether that's your nonprofit or your local community bank that maybe doesn't have all the services that they think, you know, an online bank ought to have these days. And people are going, others have done it. Others have done the thing. How come you're not able to meet me in that space where it's more efficient, it's faster, it's easier, Um, you know, that that ability to have that individual donor log in. You know, for a long while for smaller organizations to be able to have that donor kind of self-serve to say, you know, what were my contributions last year? Did I give it the gala or was it just, you know, people want to know these things fairly easily. And with many organizations, it's fairly straightforward to do. And really, honestly, as I've looked at this, it's not that expensive to make that, that information available and to serve your donors that way. But people just never thought about, you know, making the additional investment because I don't feel like there was that pressure. Like I have to deliver that, but you raise a really good point about the Amazonification of expectations of gosh, I ordered that four hours ago. Where is it? You know, it's like, you know, why don't we have that instant kind of connection to you nonprofit? Come back to that,
1: uh, the, the you know, the sustainer and the cash flow improvement. One of the big secrets, you know, from my amnesty days around the sustainer program was you had to you had to let it, each month you had to touch the donor right. and, and let them know, you know, what you're doing with their money and, and how and thank them. Right now with with, um, you know, the, the 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 ability to just send out blast emails with, you know, and, and, a, and a video camera on your phone, right, you can just capture moments and just yeah. say, I, I just want to share this with you, that, you know, your gift this month went to blah. And, and you know, here's a little taste of, you know, what life is like, thanks to you. And, and I believe that, you know, I as a donor now, I don't want to have to like I have to think hard. Who, who's going to get a check at year end? Don't bother me at year end. Let me give you money every month that I don't even know comes out of my bank account. Or you know, a lot of nonprofits think uh, you know I don't want to deal with the credit card, two and a half percent, three and a half percent for American Express, and and that's generally a mistake. Unless you have big checks, you don't want to get credit card for those. But If you can make it as easy as possible for a donor to just put it on a form and and they don't even know it comes in with their big American Express bill, it just says $25 a month. You just turn that one time maybe $250 at year end to $300 every year for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And the the fundraising executives say is you'll get get higher gifts. You'll be able to go to them and (coughs) say, we just added a new program. In fact, this is what happened at the Fort Bend Women's Shelter. They, they took this five steps program and they went to the donors and said, okay, our mission is this. We're not fulfilling our mission as well as we can. We wanna add this vocational training program and they got foundations to fund it. A year later, they did it again and they went back to the same foundations and said, okay, what we've really learned is they're not ready for that first job. We need some therapy ses- sessions. We need some crisis intervention first. And so they added another, they started another program. And instead of stopping another because they had no more money, they went back to the donor community and they got more funding. So you can use this, you know, whole concept for, for both your individual personal solicitation, which is like 83% of all giving is individuals, right? It's not foundations. That's like 12. I haven't looked at giving USA in a year, mm-hmm. but 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 it's all about people. And you can also use the same concept of showing them the tangible result of the gift um, to uh, in, in, in an Amazon world, on a phone, right? right? You know, with a video. So, um, you know, I, to me, it's, it's, it's been a struggle this past year but the conversations that we're having are, are you know it's a, it's a moment in time that's profound. It's an opportunity to reinvent our, the nonprofit community.
0: Yeah, we are starting to run a little low on our time together. And I do want to make sure that uh, as you're thinking about the clients you've worked with, the charities that you've seen try to engage these practices you're talking about, are there other um, ideas and lessons you want to make sure that you bring up before we uh, have to close?
1: Yeah, you know, most people come to us because they can't get through an audit or they, have you know, the audit went over by 30%. Hmm.
0: Um
1: And or the executive director is really struggling with the board on the finance level. You know, they're asking questions they can't get answers to. And they just it's a distraction from the mission. And so, you know, the big lesson there is as an executive director is, you know, you don't want to be careful what you put in front of the board because they're going to focus in on whatever you put in front of them. So the key thing here is to identify what are the decisions you got the board to make and then what data do they need to make those decisions? You know, which program should we stop, start, and continue is a board-level decision, right? It's about the mission and, and achieving that. So, so if you're trying to get budget approval, you can make your case with not showing them a p and a budget versus actual P&L, right? That's a great report for the Finance Committee, but I've seen so many times the board then has, you know, everybody wants to justify, why did I spend an hour coming today? They'll look at, they'll look at, you know, technology expenses over, is $5,500 over budget. What's going on with this? Is the server bad? Do we have any risks there? It's like, oh, wait, 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 wait. That's not the role of the board. The board role of the board is to help the executive director and the management team fulfill the mission, right? So, so think carefully about that board package. What does it look like? What are the charts and the graphs and the reports that they should have so that you're having the right conversations. And that, that to me is kind of the most, the biggest takeaway. If you're gonna do a p budget versus actual in QuickBooks, they have on uh, the desktop, they have a budget performance report, which is really great. You can s- s- summarize it down to one page, year to date actual, year to date budget, year to date difference, the annual budget, and then the remaining balance. And so, you know, less is more don't give them a budget versus actual three page PL or expect to be talking about your server.
0: <laughs> it all makes sense. But I think uh, it's been really helpful to me to think about the um, impact of those uh, outcomes over time and how we might take this time to think differently about what does it take to make that change happen? So I do think sometimes change comes about from crisis uh, where, you know, a, a major event hits a community and a whole lot of things change at the same time, but this has changed so much about just how all of us interact with one another, that it's not yeah. specific to, you know, this nonprofit was involved in uh, helping people after a fire and there was a major fire and therefore their whole budget changes. Uh, you know, this is really systemic across systems and, um, giving us this moment to to pause and think a second of are we really going back to the way things used to be and are we just transitioning and and trying to manage our cash in between here and there or we really got to be doing this differently and uh what what can we be doing with that so i think talking to people like you um understanding a little bit more about where their own position is right now and and what that opportunity looks like and what that can look look to do um is a little scary, but great to do. I mean, really, honestly, we don't have much choice. I think you've really got to be strategically thinking about, are we going to change or are we going to become irrelevant? Uh, you know, And there's maybe a few of us out there who are like, no, we're just going to go back to the way it was and it's going to be fine. Right. Uh, I, I, there may be some, but I think a lot of us are in the, are we going to change or are we going to become less relevant um, moment? And this gives us the chance to make some of those changes. So Stephen, if, if people have... Questions? They want to talk with you a little bit more. They've, they've got things to drive at. How do they get in touch? What's the next step?
1: Sure. You can stop by and visit us virtually at uh, our website, www.growthforce.com. That's G R O W T H Force. We share helpful advice and uh, you can chat and answer. Happy to answer any questions anytime. Uh, email is the best way to reach me. It's Stephen S T E P H E N at growthforce.com. Our website is growthforce.com. LinkedIn and Twitter, uh, SKingGForce or LinkedIn Stephen King CPAs.
0: Great, and we'll have links to those in the show notes. So people that are listening in those spaces, you can just take a look at those and click right through without having to um, write all those things down. But I think it's great opportunity for people to really consider what kind of advice do we need, how do we think about these problems, and really take advantage of this change. Or, you know, unfortunately, maybe the change will take advantage of you. <laughs> so, great to do. Uh, Stephen King is the president and CEO of Growth Force. Stephen, thanks again so much for your time. Thanks, Steve.